Hey, welcome to the Crosspoint Church Podcast. I'm Rob Chartrand, the lead pastor of the church. We're a church that's for the city in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and are passionate about helping people find their way back to God. Hey, if you're new, I'll have a bit to say at the end of the podcast, but in the meantime, let's listen to this Sunday's message. Good morning, Crosspoint. Happy Easter to you all. So nice to see you in the house. And for those of you, of course, who are down in Simpson Hall and those of you who are joining us from home, a very, very happy Easter greeting to each and every one of you. And, uh, you know, we're teaching uh, a Roman series. We've been in it for a long time. And we thought, you know what? The passage for today is all about Easter. So we're just going to keep talking about the book of Romans as we go through Easter this Sunday. It is so appropriate. I don't know how we could have planned it any better. Anyways, uh, if you have a Bible handy, if you could turn to Romans 6, paper or digital, it's just always good to have it available so that you can follow along. Of course, you can get notes online, the crosspointchurch.ca slash notes, and you can follow with us as we make our way through the passage this morning. Thanks, Brother David Green, for reading for us this morning. He's upstairs uh, working there in our tech arts um, booth up there. But uh, I don't know if you know this, David Green's one of our elders, and it's such a joy and a privilege to have him read the Word of God for us this morning. Hey, I wonder, uh, how many of you are familiar with the parable of the prodigal son? Right? I mean, this is a very, very famous, well-known parable. The reality is, though, there might be some of you who aren't. I remember a time in my life when I was just figuring out faith and becoming a follower of Jesus that uh, the, this story was not new to me, was uh, very new to me, and I didn't know it. So uh, I have to ask that question. But here's how the story goes. I mean, there's a, there's a son who uh, is, gets tired of living under his father's roof and living in his father's household. His father is very, very wealthy, right? So he goes to his father and he demands his inheritance early, which in that culture was a big faux pas. That was a big no-no because it's basically saying to your father, I want your, you dead or you are dead to me, but he does it anyway. Uh, so his father, you know, says, okay, I'm going to give it to you. And uh, he heads off to Calgary of all places, right? And when he gets to Calgary, he blows his money on bong parties and, and call girls. And he spends a lot of money betting on the Calgary flames. And of course, because of that, he loses absolutely everything, everything. He ends up on the streets, he's picking bottles from the dumpster, and then one day, as he's there digging in the trash, busting his fingers on broken glass, he sees the light and he says, you know what, this is awful, I don't want to stay here, this is not my future, I have an idea, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go back to my father, and he's very, very wealthy, and I'm just going to ask him, just dad, just give me a job, a minimum wage job in one of your companies, please take me back. So he does that. He goes back home. But when he arrives, surprise, surprise, his father embraces him. His father throws a great big party. His father restores him to sonship. And his father actually gives him a job as a VP in one of his companies. Great story. Story of grace. Now, I want to imagine that a few months have gone by. The son's sitting in his VP office, 10th floor, looking out the glass over the city of Edmonton. And he begins to imagine to himself... Boy, I, I, I sure do miss those days in Calgary. I mean, that was a good time. And I wonder to myself, what would it be like to just go back there, maybe just for a little bit, just to do it all over again, just to taste and see. And he starts to think to himself, well, you know, I probably could do that. 
I mean, after all, my father forgave me the first time. Is he not going to just forgive me the second time? I mean, that's what my father does. He's a forgiving guy. He's a grace-filled guy. So why don't I just do it again? In fact, why don't I just do it? Why don't I make it a regular excursion? Yeah, that's what I'll do. Every second weekend, I'll find my way down to Calgary, into bong parties, call girls, and betting on the flames. And I'll borrow money from my dad. So he starts making plans on how he can begin to leverage his father's grace and kindness. And all the while, he's sitting in his beautiful office, feet kicked up on a chair, looking out the window on the city of Edmonton. Now, the question. How does that story sit with you this morning? I mean, if you could go out for coffee with the prodigal son in that moment, and he's just unloaded all of this to you, what would you say to him? Well, this is the exact same attitude that Paul is actually responding to in Romans chapter 6. See, there were some believers who assumed that grace gave them a license to just do whatever they wanted. I mean, after all, God had them covered, right? And because God had them covered, they didn't really need to change. They could just go on living the life that they has always led. As a matter of fact, they believed that by living this kind of... Um, rebellious life against God would actually make God shine all the brighter. It would actually make God even more glorious. That by sinning all the more, grace might abound. So here's the question this morning. Why is this idea, why is this line of thinking actually a bad idea? Well, Paul is going to show us this morning that this misses a fundamental truth of the gospel. See, the good news of Jesus, the great news of Jesus, the best news ever, the good news of Jesus, is that Jesus came to ransom us from the penalty of sin. But that's only half the story. Because Jesus also came to rescue us from the power of sin. See, the promise of Easter is that we can share in this resurrected life with Christ. That we were made as followers of Jesus to rise with Christ. And so that's what I want us to explore this morning. I want to explore how do we do that? How do we live this risen life? And we're, and we're going to look at it one step at a time. First of all, we're going, to, we're going to start with the foundation of the risen life. And then we're going to talk about the union that we have in the risen life. And then we're going to finally end with how do we participate then in this risen life. So let's start at the foundation. Here's the foundation of it all. Foundation point number one is this. Christ has risen. This is the reason why, why billions of people all across the planet today are gathering to celebrate. There is a reason why we are making such a big deal about this day. See, the resurrection, it's the foundation of the Christian faith. And it's also the foundational premise of this passage that we're going to look at this morning. If there is no resurrection, then everything else Paul has to say in this passage is absolutely meaningless. So let's look at verses 9 to 10. Here's what Paul says. He says, we know, we know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Paul, Paul essentially gives us the story of Easter here in summary form. God came and dwelled among us as a man. Jesus of Nazareth, the carpenter's son, the God-man. At a certain time in his life, he went about performing miracles. He taught about his, us about his kingdom. He taught us how to love. He taught us how we should live. 
He walked in perfect obedience to the Father. And then on one fateful day, 2,000 years ago, he was falsely arrested, he was tried, and he was crucified. He was dead, and he was buried. But that's not the end of the story. Because death could not hold him. The tomb could not keep him. And on the third day, as the story goes, he rose again to life, demonstrating that he was who he said he was. He was, in fact, the living son of God. And, and if you read the text, I love, I love how Paul tells this story. You need to look at how he says. He says, well, we know that. That's what he says, right? So it's as if he's saying, well, of course this is true. I mean, we all know this is true, Right? Because Paul saw this as an actual event, grounded in history. It wasn't just theology, and it certainly wasn't mythology. This event was predicted by Jesus. It was anticipated by the prophets. It was confirmed by eyewitnesses. And it has been affirmed by millions whose lives have been transformed by this truth. Jesus Christ was dead, and he is risen. And Paul reminds us. That the resurrection, it isn't just like a take it or leave it part of the Christian story. It is the Christian story. Without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the entire gospel of Jesus Christ unravels. I mean, Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says this, you know, if Christ has not been raised, then our faith is futile. We are still in our sins and we are among all people on the planet, the most to be pitied. The resurrection is the foundation of everything else Paul is about to say in this passage. Well, what else does he say? Here's the second point. We are risen with Christ. See, Christ's death and resurrection, it's more than a past event. It's actually a present reality that we can participate in. You notice what Paul says in verse 5. He says that we have been united with him in his death, and we will be united with him in a resurrection like his. Well, what does he mean by that? What does he mean by united? Well, he's talking about this, the believer's spiritual union with Christ. So what is true of Christ is also true of us and those who follow him. So when Jesus died, we died with him. When Jesus rose to, again, we rose to new life. And, and Paul actually explains this uh, uh, as, as, in fact, what baptism represents. He uses baptism as an illustration of this. He says that, you know, when you're baptized, you go under the water, and that represents your death with Christ. But when you come out of the water, it represents your new life in Christ. And of course, this is why baptism is, is like so incredibly important for us and for a believer in Christ. It's why we were commanded to baptize. It's why we're commanded to be baptized, right? So, so I hope this morning that if you have not ever been baptized and you are a believer in Christ, that you would consider it. Because baptism is how we shout to the whole world about this new life in Christ, now, if you really want to understand what Paul is talking about here in Romans chapter 6, you really need to go back to what he wrote in one of the previous chapters of Romans. Uh, so let me give you a quick recap of that this morning, and, and I'm, I'm going to use props. I brought in some hula hoops. Um, thank you, Delaney, and the children's ministry for these. Um, so Paul talks about uh, two different types of spheres of people in Romans chapter 5. He talks about the sphere of Adam, and he talks about the sphere of 
Jesus, Jesus Christ. And those who are in Adam and those who are in Jesus Christ are, are very in two very different spheres. In the sphere of Adam, there is, what, uh, there is sin and death. And in the sphere of Jesus, there is grace and life. And you get into these spheres in two very different ways. Everybody on the planet is born into the sphere of Adam uh, just by being born physically into this world. But everybody is reborn into the sphere of Jesus Christ. So let, let me talk about each of these. Uh, let me first of all talk about the sphere of Adam. Let me see if I can hang this up there. Woo, look at that. Okay, all right. So these, these spheres are two very different spheres. But, but Adam's sphere came about through one act of disobedience. And what happened to Adam happened to everybody else who was in Adam. Through one, one act of disobedience in Adam, what happened is sin and death entered into the world. So for those of us who are in Adam, who were born into Adam, we experience death. As a matter of fact, Paul would say that death reigns in the world. Okay, So death is an effective and it's an efficient monarch in the world in which we live in. Death kills 100% of the people 100% of the time. But not only are we under this reign of death, Paul also says that we are under the power of sin. So sin, sin has this, this control over us so that, so that we, we don't do the right things all the time. Or sometimes we do the right things for all the wrong reasons. Because Adam still has his influence in us. And like Adam, we're still thumbing our noses at God. And we're still saying to God, hey, I want to live my life on my terms. The way I like it. The way I want it. Now, um, if you've ever wondered why uh, we live in a world with racism and injustice, if you ever wondered why Christian leaders are having moral failures, if, if you've ever wondered why there is ch children being trafficked all across the planet, if you ever wondered why people cheat and why they lie and why they sleep around, the reason why it is not because of corrupt systems, it's not just because of inequality, it's not just because of lack of education, it's not just because of a lack of money, Paul would say that the issue is far deeper than that. Those, it's not that those things aren't important factors, but the issue is far deeper than that. And the, deeper go, the, the, the issue goes to the core of who we are as human beings under Adam. Under Adam, we are overcome with this pervasive power of sin in our lives. And it extends to everything that we ultimately do. Well, the sphere of Jesus, of course, is very different. Uh, the sphere of Jesus is one of uh, grace and one of new life. And what is true of those who are in Jesus, okay, what is true of Jesus is true of everyone who is in Jesus. And what we know about Jesus is that he died and he was raised again from the dead. And in that death and resurrection, he defeated sin, death, the grave, and he rose victorious unto new life. And so that is true of us also who are in Christ Jesus. Now the question is, how do you get from this sphere over into this sphere? If we've been reading Romans for five chapters, Paul would say there is only one way. You cannot work your way out of Adam. You cannot buy your way into Jesus. The only way that you can get from here over to there is through faith. Faith is the key. Faith is the catalyst. Faith is the way that we uh, engage in what Jesus has done on our behalf and then allows us in our union with Christ to move from being in the sphere of Adam into the new sphere. 
So we are no longer part of the old humanity. We are now part of an entire new humanity under Christ Jesus because of his death and resurrection. Now, in Romans chapter 6, Paul is going to be a lot more specific about this and what happens in that exchange of moving from here over to here. So, here's what he says. First of all, he says, in that exchange, we died to sin. Notice what he says in verse 6. He says, we know that our old self was crucified with him. Remember, what is true of Jesus is also true of us. So when we died in Christ, our old self died with him. We left Adam behind in a watery grave. We are no longer part of that humanity. So what this means is that Jesus has not only ransomed us from the penalty of sin, Jesus has also rescued us from the power of sin. Paul says in verse 6 to 7, we are no longer enslaved to sin. We have been set free from the power of sin, he says after that. So the shackles of sin have actually been, for us, shattered at the cross of Jesus Christ. We are no longer in the sphere of Adam. We are part of this new humanity. So that's the first thing. But second, we are also raised to new life. Remember, what is true of Jesus is also true of us. Jesus was raised to life. We too are raised to life. Now, on this point, I will, I will admit, Paul can seem a little bit confusing if you read the passage. And that's because Paul often speaks of the resurrection um, from two different vantage points. And I want to explain this for us this morning. One of the vantage points is the future vantage point. The other vantage point is the present vantage point. So let me quickly explain about these. Uh, first of all, the, let me talk about the future resurrection. Paul says in verse 5, you'll notice he says, We shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like this. He's speaking in the future tense. What's he talking about? Well, he's talking about our future resurrection. You know, the Bible teaches that when Jesus returns, he will fix everything. And those who are in Christ Jesus will be given new resurrected bodies. Our bodies, it says in 1 Corinthians 15, will be like his resurrected body. Okay? Powerful new frames. Completely free from the presence of sin. Oh, I look forward to that day. Okay? Liberated from death and corruption. And this will take place, all of this will take place in a new, restored, resurrected creation. In that day, Adam's sphere will be completely done away with. The reign of death will have ended. The power of sin will be destroyed. And that is available to us. And that is accessible to us, remember, through faith. If you're here today and you are worried about your future, and, and I think COVID has caused a lot of people to be considering their future, right? Because we, we're suddenly face-to-face -face with our mortality and we're asking the question, what does the future hold for me? How can I have assurance after I die that I'm going to go to the right place, that I can have eternal life? But Paul would say to you this morning, the only way you can do that is through faith in Jesus Christ. And if you will embrace him, if you will surrender your life to him, put your complete trust in him to save you, you will be guaranteed this future resurrection. To be apart from the body means to be with the Lord. You will go, you will be with the Lord, and then the resurrection will happen, and we will live together in this new, resurrected, restored heaven and earth. That is the promise of the future, and is yours and is available by surrendering your life to Christ in faith this morning. So that's a future vantage point. But there's also a, a present vantage point. Paul also talks about the resurrected life 
now. And he says that the, this, this resurrected life has already begun. You'll notice in verse 4, he talks about walking in newness of life. And then verse 8, he talks about living with him. These verbs are all in the present tense. They're for the now. Which means that we can participate in Christ's resurrected life now, in this moment. This is why Jesus would say in John chapter 10 and verse 10, he says, I've come that you all might have life and you might have it to the full. So our future bodily resurrection that is out there waiting for us has come forward into the present so that we can begin to live now, ultimately how we will be then. So Christ's resurrection power is available to all of us who are in Christ. And that because you are in Christ Jesus, Christ is in you. He lives inside of you through his Holy Spirit. And the Spirit of God is our source of resurrection power for life. That's why Paul remind, Peter reminds his readers, he says, listen, his divine power, the power of Jesus, this resurrected power, his divine power has given us everything, absolutely everything we need for life. Now, if all of this is true, all right, I mean, this sounds really great, right? If all of this is true, I'm guessing that at least some of you this morning are asking this question. If sin's power is broken, then why do we still keep on sinning? Right? Why, why can't I live this the perfect resurrected life now? Why isn't it just like automatic? Like you just faith, turn on the switch, angels, ooh, scrolls. You know, why isn't it like that? So even though we're part of Christ's new humanity, why do we keep on sinning? And the answer to that question is, is because we're still living in what's called the overlap of the ages. We are caught in the tension between the present age and the new age that is yet to come when Christ returns. This is what theologians will call the already not yet stage of history. It's the period between the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ. It is the age between the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the resurrection of all people. It is the age where Christ's kingdom has already come, but it has not yet come in its fullness. And we are living between these two times. And in this stage that we're living in, well, Adam just kind of continues to show up. He still pokes us and he prods us and he tries to control us. But it doesn't have to be this way because we are risen in Christ. So I'd like to share an illustration with you this morning that I heard from the theologian N.T. Wright. He says, you know, I want you to imagine this. I want you to imagine that you are a landholder living in the countryside. It's the Middle Ages. It's like 500 years ago. And you have a tiny little farm that sits on the border between two major estates. And you're running between these two major estates. There's this river that kind of divides them between the, divides the two of them. Now, your property doesn't really belong to you. It actually belongs to the owner of the estate, right? And he lives in some big, beautiful manor up on the top of the hill. Uh, but the upside of this arrangement that you have with this landowner is that you get to live on the land and you get to live off of the land. But the downside is, is that whenever this Lord, whenever he kind of gets into a fight with one of his neighbors, right? He enlists you to come and fight with him in this skirmish. 
So if you refuse, he, he threatens you. He says, you know, well, I'll burn down your farm or I'll sell your children. So you kind of have to fight. But not only do you have to fight, you have to repurpose all of your farm instruments for war. So you have to melt down these wonderful, life-giving tools, things like plows and rakes and shovels, and then you have to turn them into swords and into shields. And then you have to go with your landlord off to fight his dirty little war. Well, after a while, you figure you've kind of had enough of this, and it dawns on you one day, you know, I should just cross the river to the other side. And so while your landlord is away, you pick up all your farm instruments, you gather your family, everything you own, and you move across the river to the other side. And when you arrive, the new landlord is there waiting, and he, in fact, he welcomes you with goodness and with kindness. And you also un begin to understand that this landlord is a different kind of landlord than your other landlord. He lets you build a house right down by the river, but you also discover that he isn't fighting dirty little wars. As a matter of fact, he's going about building hospitals and he's building theaters and schools and he's caring for the sick and the poor. So you decide, this is a good place to build my house. And you build it by the river and you start plowing your fields in this new life. Now, as it turns out, your old landlord isn't quite finished with you yet. He still shows up every once in a while. He comes down to the edge of the river. He shouts at you at your farm from across the river. He says all sorts of things to you. He threatens you. He says, I'm going to bring my henchmen and they're going to come and enlist you to fight in my wars. But one thing you notice about this landlord is he never really crosses the river to your side. He's still over there on that other side and he's still yelling at you. And you're starting to get the feeling that he might be afraid of your new landlord. But the sad thing is, is that sometimes you still believe him. Sometimes you, you get a little bit anxious when he starts talking, right? And you start sliding back into your old routines. You find yourself at the smelter hammering out swords. Or, or you find yourself getting into fights with the neighbors who are around you. But you also discover that your new landlord is so very different. That actually he's a joy to work with. And oftentimes he, he enlists you to help with other people's needs. So you find yourself helping when people die or they get sick. Or, or they just need a good visit. Or they need someone to lend a hand which you gladly do because you love and you respect this new landlord. And here's what you also discover. The more time you spend with the new landlord, the more you find yourself becoming like this new landlord. Here's the final question. How is it that we participate in the risen life? What do we do when Adam kind of shows up and he starts breathing down our necks? How do we live now as we will be then? Well, Paul talks about two things. He talks about two directives, and he gives them to us. And these directives, he says, they're only possible because they're built on the foundation of our union with Christ. Christ is risen. We are risen with him. Because of that, we can now do these two directives. The first directive is to consider. The second directive is to present. I want to talk about each of these. First of all, consider. Let's look at what Paul says in verse 11. He says, so you must also, you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. That word consider, it, it means to, to contemplate, to be mindful, to keep a mental record. You know, in some of your older translations, you might see the word reckon appear. To consider means having deliberate thoughts, constant acceptance of an idea. 
So what you're doing is, is you're helping your mind get caught up to your new reality. Your mind has been trained under Adam, but your mind needs to be transformed under Christ. And, and one of the practices I've learned that um, can help you live as who you are is to learn to say these four words out loud. I'm dead to that. Now, I learned this from another pastor. I've done this with you before, but I think it's so important that it's going to help you as you consider how to consider that I am dead to sin and I'm alive to Christ Jesus. Those four words, I'm dead to that. Let's try that this morning. Wherever you are, let's do it. I'm dead to that. Exactly. Perfect. Okay. So uh, it's basically a confession of faith. It's making a declaration to sin, to God, to the forces of evil. It's a declaration. And you know what? There's something very powerful in declaring something out loud. I don't know if you know that. Like, it, it, to actually verbalize it. Because what you're doing is you're engaging your whole person. Heart, mind, soul, and strength. When you make a de declaration like that. That's why we say, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Okay? So, there's, there's something powerful in confessing something out loud. So, when you are tempted by something, try this. Say those four powerful words. I'm dead to that. Let's practice together. All right. So when that bag of Cheetos has your name on it and it calls out to you at 11 o'clock p.m., you look gluttony straight in the eyes and you say, uh -uh. amen. All right. When someone cuts you off on the Anthony Henday and you are tempted to ride their bumper and flip them the bird, you say, I'm dead. Awesome. Okay. When you're in a restaurant and your server is wearing only a hint of fabric and your imagination is tempted to run wild, you say, all right. I could say that louder. Next one. All right. Well, quiet there. Okay. When that one annoying person at work does something that makes you want to drop your gloves and square off, you say, I'm dead to that. So whatever you struggle with, whether it's lying or jealousy or hatred or gossip or greed, choose your poison. When Adam comes calling, what do we say? I'm dead to that. Yes. Okay. And I hope you'll remember that because we need to consider ourselves dead to sin and alive in Christ Jesus because that's who we are. So that's the first step is to consider but here's the second directive that Paul says, present. Paul says we must also present ourselves. Let's look at verse 13 quickly. Do not present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. See, see living in this new reality involves more than just changing your mind. It actually engages the whole person. We are God's instruments. And we can be used for good or evil. You can use your farm tools to cultivate life, or you can melt them down into weapons of death. This presenting, of course, is, is ongoing. Actually, the verb tense there is an ongoing, continuous action. It's not something you just do once. It's something you do, and you do, and you do again. And so it must be deliberate. It must be intentional. And it has to be ongoing if it's going to change us. And, and I, know, I know this is often hard. I mean, it's, it's often hard to try and change. And it's usually most difficult in the beginning stages. But over time, as you deliberately do something, as you deliberately practice something, 
it will eventually form into a habit. And over time, these habits will form in you a character. They will form in you virtue. Until eventually, these combined together will build for you a legacy. Change is hard. I know that. And for some of you, you might even say change is impossible. But real change can happen if you just take it one step at a time. You know, Charles Ellett, he was the chief engineer uh, who built the first suspension bridge across the Niagara Falls Gorge. Other people had tried, and they had failed miserably. And the biggest obstacle they faced was this. How do we get the cables across this roaring river, the Niagara River? So how did he do it? I mean, how did he manage what was seemingly impossible? Well, this is how they did it. First thing he did was he flew a kite over the river. And attached to that kite was a piece of rope. So they got the rope onto the other side, and then they took and they tied a heavy cord to that rope. And they pulled the cord across. And then what they did is they tied a chain to the cord, and they pulled the chain across. And then they took a cable, and they tied it to the chain, and they pulled the cable across. And in that way, they pulled another cable, and another cable, and another cable, until they finally had enough cables to build the suspension bridge. We are transformed one small victory at a time. And that one small victory can lead to another victory, which can then lead to another victory and then to another. And so, friends, to build a risen life, you need to go and fly a kite. Pull the string across the gorge, then the cord, then the chain, then the cables. Paul says, continually present yourselves to God as instruments of righteousness. And as you do it, as you do it, trust in the power of the Holy Spirit to make this happen. Because you cannot do it in and of yourself. Because Adam, he's going to come knocking, right? So we need God's resurrected power within us to be able to live this. And as we do that, we will build a risen life. Friends, all of this is possible because Jesus has died and has risen. This is why we celebrate today. And through our faith in Christ, we have died and we have risen with him. He has broken the shackles of sin in our lives. He lives in us by his spirit and he gives us the power to live risen, resurrected lives. He is risen. We are risen with him. And we have cause to celebrate this morning. And to raise our voices and celebrate Jesus, our risen king. Why don't we stand, and I'm going to invite you to pray with me this morning. Wherever you are, let's stand. And maybe this morning you're listening, and as I asked earlier on, you are concerned about your future. You are concerned about your life. Jesus promises you this morning that if you will, in faith, surrender your life to him and receive his grace you can begin again and you can enter into this risen life. I want to give you an opportunity to do that this morning. Wherever you are, wherever you're listening, you can simply pray this. You can say, dear Jesus, I know that I have failed you. Jesus, I know that you died for my sins. Jesus, I ask you to forgive me for all that I've done. And Jesus, I now receive your free gift of salvation.
And if you pray that this morning, the Bible's promise to you is if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And if you have prayed that this morning from your heart in truth, the promise is you have crossed over into the new humanity and you are now a child of God, no longer under Adam, but under Christ Jesus. And I'd like to pray for all of us this morning. Jesus, would you help us to live this risen life? Thank you that we are dead to sin. And we are alive in Christ Jesus. Give us the power we need, Lord, to be instruments of righteousness, instruments of joy, instruments of goodness in this world, instruments of justice, instruments of mercy. Use us, Lord, as your instruments to bring your gospel message to a world that so desperately needs it on this day. We celebrate you. We declare you as our risen, resurrected King, the Son of the living God. And we worship you in spirit and in truth now. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Well, thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope it's helped you in your spiritual journey and it's helped you draw closer to God. Let me tell you a little bit about us. Crosspoint gathers as one church on Sundays in Northeast Edmonton. And you can find out our location and more about us by visiting our website, thecrosspointchurch.ca. We also meet throughout the week throughout Edmonton in what we call home groups. These are smaller communities of learning, laughter, community, uh, transformation. We, we think that the journey of faith was never intended to be an independent exercise. It's, it's something that we do together. So please visit our website and find out how you can get connected to a home group near you. If you listen to our podcast regularly, why not make it shareable? You could like us on iTunes or share our podcast with other people. But more importantly, we hope you will get connected with other people and talk about what you've learned. Again, hey, thanks for listening. We pray you'll experience Christ's love in a very real and profound way this week.